Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Tommy Crane. Tommy is based in Montreal, where he composes and records ambient music, the latest example of which is his new solo record entitled We're All Improvisers Now. Prior to this chapter, Tommy spent over 15 years on the New York jazz scene, where he attended the New School and went on to tour and record with numerous jazz heavyweights, including Greg Osby and the Mingus Big Band. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our Patreon content now features Will Kennedy discussing the recording of his song Samaritan, which he composed for the new Yellow Jackets record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Sohn and Eric Slick, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. There's also a video by me illustrating my favorite warm-up routine, which I've found to be really useful and effective over the years. You can access this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash workingdrummer. So Tommy is a really interesting drummer and an interesting dude. His geographic transition from New York to Montreal went along with a musical transition from jazz to ambient music and a professional transition from sideman to composer and solo artist. The pandemic contributed to this for Tommy as it did for all of us in some way. But long before that, he had started to realize that his values were changing and it was great to hear how he has navigated a way forward that is more true to himself musically and otherwise. So let's get to it with Tommy Crane. I think we have some mutual friends. <laughs> yeah, I interviewed Brandon Draper recently, and he mentioned you. Oh yeah, um, and uh, I can't I can't remember who else, but there was one or two others. Um, okay, I'm sure there's more than one or two because it's a small world. <laughs> yeah, it's a small scene. Yeah, feels uh, that way. So like, uh, so with this new record, um, we're all improvisers now. This like this is both your debut as sort of a, a leader or solo artist and you know very much the product of like the lockdown right this was kind of your your project um talk about uh why you did this and and what it is well to 
to be honest, I, I mean, like all of us, I, I had an immense amount of time on, on my hands <laughs> and compounded with the fact that in the winter, Montreal is like already kind of a pseudo lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, it's a, it's a maddening place to be at, at times in the winter. Uh-huh. Um, so I usually, it, the winter kind of turns into this time for me to um, get back to recording a bit. I've, mm-hmm. I've been doing it for, for years now, um, but, but this is the first solo project mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to make. Yeah. Um, and it's truly a solo project, right? Is this just you? Are there any other musicians on this? It is mainly me um, kind of overseeing the whole thing. I, I reached out to a few friends at the beginning of the pandemic just to toss me a, a solo here and there. Right. Like, um, my buddy, Logan Richardson. I actually uh, know him. I, I don't know. If know he, I, I, I don't KC. know if he would know me, but yeah, I spent time in, in Kansas city and uh, yeah, but, but continue. Oh, no worries. Um, we were in touch and it was a very clearly a very insular uh, time mm-hmm. <laughs> and process making the, the record. So it felt nice to, to, to do this and zoom with a friend or two. And I was like, by the way, can I send you a demo that I'm working on? It's kind of a, it's coming together slowly, but maybe you could have a go at playing over it. I, I didn't say very much. I don't like to tell people what to do. Right. Um, and Logan was the first person and he kind of takes the, the only real solo on the album. Mm-hmm. And he played over the original demo and the solo that he played is actually what made made the record. I I ended up going through a few phases mm-hmm. throughout the process, um, yeah. and kind of began quickly. I, I just I had a lot of steam when I when I got back here to Montreal in March, around the second week of March, right? Um, twenty twenty. I was I was teaching at a conservatory in Italy. And oh, cool. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I just I read that in some bio of yours or something. It was in Siena, right? Mm-hmm. Which is Siena is just the coolest. Have you been? <laughs> yeah, I have. My wife and I did our honeymoon in in Italy, and Siena was was a stop on it. And okay, just, yeah, what a man, what an incredible place. It's um, like medieval. It's like Westworld. Or something. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was so cool because like we we did Rome. Um, uh, Tuscany where Siena is and then Venice. So like, you know, Rome is this ancient city and, uh, uh, Siena is like, like you said, a medieval city. And then Florence and Venice are like very much Renaissance cities. So you can just like travel through time and it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I I love like I'd fly into Florence and then go to the train station in Florence and then hop on a bus and it feels like you're, yeah, in another time or yeah. something. It's, that yeah. was fun. But, um, I took that gig fall of 2019, just kind of a, fell into my lap. Um, I think that Henry Cole was supposed to have the, the job and his house burned down. Oh, my God. Really crazy. I don't know him personally, but but the director of the program um, reached out to me and was like, I you know, I thought maybe you'd be into to doing it. And it sounded like a crazy experience. So I yeah, said, yes. Yeah. And, and, and amidst, and 
with with touring and going over to Europe quite a bit anyway, I would just sort of schedule a week, a month. That was a, like a part time right, job. Right. So, so it, was, it was really. Did awesome. you did your return to Montreal like coincide like did did that gig sort of end naturally and then you got back to Montreal right before the pandemic or did the pandemic like end that gig and you just barely got home? That is correct. Yeah, the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I was um Italy went into full lockdown. Um well they were going into full lockdown I guess. My flight was the day after the government announced the full lockdown, so I was on the phone and my my partner here in Montreal was on the phone with Air Canada and or Lufthansa, whoever right mixed two in the flight and um explained the situation and I literally I showed up to teach and I look at my e- when I got service and the director of the program was like, Sorry everyone, we have to shut everything down tomorrow. Wow. And mind you like I could see the Siena sign in the distance it's yeah, like yeah um like oh fuck this this uh what am i gonna do um so thankfully they changed my flight i left a couple days later and i got home a, a, a day or two before italy went into full lockdown man that's nuts. and we went on we went online so so i was doing this i was doing lessons via zoom but the students um couldn't leave their house it was yeah. it was full on there so i um they were stuck in their apartment so i would like i'm pretty new to teaching in general mm-hmm. so it was like a, a pad you know practice pad we'd right mainly just hang out and like how are you doing right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like do you want to like i feel like maybe i'm better at that anyway than talking about drums and i was just like can you know how how are you managing everything and um we'd listen to some tunes and um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was bizarre. And amidst all of that, I, I, you know, I, Montreal is, things are slow here in general. Like I feel like as I, as I learn more about the, the yeah. way things, Atlanta, like, Atlanta is the same way. Um, okay. It, it took I know. Us, yeah. It took us a minute to like, get up to speed or like down to speed uh when we came to atlanta because we came from la which is just like everybody's you know it's not like new york but you know there's a kind of a sense of urgency (laughs) about la and we we got here and like nobody is in a hurry about anything (laughs) so you are in atlanta i thought um i wasn't sure if you were in nashville oh yeah no i'm in atlanta my my partner uh matt kraus is in nashville gotcha okay he's been there for about 20 years um, so you, you get home, like you're doing these zoom lessons and, and like you said, you know, winter is kind of usually your time to hole up and record anyway, but right. as the pandemic is like in full swing here, just as far as this record is concerned, I'm, I'm curious if this record was like something that you had your eye on for a long time with like these ideas, these tunes, this music, you're like, I want to do this record at some point or if it was more like you're just sort of doing stuff to fill the hours and it gradually evolves into like, Oh, this is a thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have always made music at home, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, for, 
probably for 15 years now since GarageBand became a thing. Very, very lo-fi, low-key. I, um, you know, I started with like a computer mic and right. um, one synth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Years ago, but whenever I'd I'd get off the road, I I it it feels like my happy place or has, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been wanting to make I had been wanting to make like a an actual recording like spend time, but I, I get into working on it and then I have to leave town, um, or before the pandemic that's all changed. We can get into that. Um, so it felt very freeing to just grab everything from from my jam space take it into my room because we within a couple of weeks like i couldn't get into my jam space here in montreal so um we we have enough room in our apartment in montreal so i set up in the back room um behind our washing machine (laughs) hence the name of the studio behind the dryer um (laughs) so it's it's a it's a cozy it's a cozy place so i just like I've acquired more and more gear. The last project I did was a was a collaboration with my partner. It's a, an audio visual project oh, cool. called Presentation, which I did. I did a lot of it in that room mm-hmm. at home, but I also did a lot of it in a studio as well. And yeah, um, but I did some of the production at home, so it was kind of I, I know the feel of that space, and um, so it was kind of like Preservation 2.0 or something. But I didn't really know what I was going to get into it just sort of evolved and it happened yeah pretty quickly and um it kept me like i said it kept me feeling sane to just have have something to do and i had the the gig in sienna still um right that that contracted uh, that contract ended later in the summer so i wasn't worried about money yeah Uh, montreal is also a quite a fair place to live in terms of the overhead and right i've heard that about it I, and i want to talk about montreal just kind of as, yeah, a, as sure. a city and a scene um in a bit um but yeah i mean it, it it sounds like this record just sort of uh served as your uh <laughs> your lifeline and kind of like like i said just a way to kind of fill the hours and and not go insane and i think you know some of us some of us spent that time just like shedding our asses off um yeah. some some of us like you uh spent it in in like creative pursuit um and uh others like me just you know took the time to learn a new skill and like learn how to record um so like you know like you i was like holed up in my little studio here but my my pursuit was not creative it was like okay let's let's try glenn johns now (laughs) you know i've tried that it's difficult (laughs) yeah difficult pattern yeah yeah um and have you have you been doing remote session work is that yeah i seen that yeah so like during during the pandemic it was it was you know i wasn't really doing any work for anybody i was just kind of figuring stuff out but um that led to just um doing little like sort of random little projects for instagram like i would i would rip something charlie hunter played off of his instagram and like play along with it and so and cool. then that led to uh you know doing some um some tracks professionally on air gigs and also for just people that i know in atlanta um and uh over the last few months i've actually been i, I play in a band called ruby bell and the Sulfonics in atlanta 
and have been recording all the drums for the next record in this room here. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a cool, a cool progression over the last couple of years, and I, I still feel like I'm at the beginning of it. Like, it became, right. it became very clear to me very quickly that like this whole recording thing is just a bottomless pit of like learning new information and acquiring new gear, and like you're never done. So. <laughs> I hear you. I'm in that I'm in the same boat. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. you said you've been recording, you know, yourself since you were a kid, like, um, uh, yeah, like shortly after college, I mean, in New York, I, when I, I, I liked the garage band format whenever that became a thing. Yeah. Um, just because you can, it was easy to use, right. Set up tracks and, um, layer things. I love layering. Um, I can hear that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of layering. Um, and I, f- I felt, um, yeah, having having the, the the time. It was it was a nice nice way to just dive dive in and, and um, also just have fun. It was it was truly fun <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah. I. I, t- I tend to close my ears off when I'm working on something mm-hmm. of my own. I mean, I have made projects in the past that I've led or whatever, but this was, this is a true solo record. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other things I've done were a little more collaborative, but um, it was, it was really nice to just get into the flow of, of um, waking up and tracking and, and experimenting and going, having a deep dive into profit land. Um, right. Synth. I don't, you know, I know a 5% more now <laughs> than I did, but, but, I, but I didn't, that guilt um, radar didn't pop on. <laughs> it, was like, it was, it felt, it felt good. And it was a way to kind of, kind of, put put a put a wall up so to speak and and not uh, worry myself to death i'm i'm by nature i'm a worrier mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um and obviously we're all dealing with our own version of, of um yeah yeah still <laughs> still, still it hasn't gone away yep <laughs> and um yeah that was the, the the beginning was just i i had i had some some ideas i would say February 2020, I had started um, working on some some things with the sensory percussion. Yeah, I was going to ask about that whole Sunhouse thing. You you seem to be making yeah. pretty frequent use of that. I was. I go in and out, mm-hmm. and um, that was a good time to to use it because I I, I can't really make noise at home. Right. So I I put the mesh heads on mm-hmm. and um and just use use them as triggers so to speak at right home. right I, I could play but in in silence yeah so to speak yeah drums are always kind of the at the core of it obviously being being a drummer it's the one instrument that i'm not completely awful at. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going to ask. I mean, there's there's a lot of great drumming on this record, obviously, and a lot of like really organic, natural, you know, sounding acoustic drums on it. But there's a heavy electronic element to all this music. Um, so, like 
from a from a stylistic or or genre perspective, does does that um, uh, does does the electronicness of it represent sort of a, a departure from what you had been doing before, like especially your touring work? Yes, um, I well, I started integrating electronics. My last the last project I worked on preservation with. Um, Tracy Maurice, a visual mm-hmm. artist. And it was music synced to um, experimental film. Wow. And we actually, we had the opportunity to perform it in 2017 at Lincoln Center. Man. Mind you, in the food court. <laughs> <laughs> it, you could still use the, the Lincoln Center brand name. Right. Um, it is at Lincoln Center, but it's in the atrium. So it's like a free performance. But um, our roommate at the our roommate at the time, wonderful person was was booking the the venue, and she was. We were living in New York together in, right. in a room together right. in an apartment with a bunch of people, and she was like, "You guys should do something. Sounds really good." And so we had a little budget, and um, we performed what became my introduction to to like a hybrid setup. I never really did that before i had been mm-hmm. asked like in bands like can you bring the pdsx and i was like nah <laughs> i don't know i don't know very much like a, a a purist for years about like i think i can get those why you, those types of sounds on the kit like you know right backing cymbals or um treating the drum set so it seemed to work but then i hit a wall with them with this project because things needed to be really precise yeah yeah so i i was also wondering like you're you're touching on it now like when it comes to incorporating electronics into your music or using a hybrid setup like that i i feel like um the idea of that sort of divides people into one of two camps like either either you're excited about the notion of that and and you're sort of a native electronic speaker right like it like um from a musical standpoint it excites you and from a technological standpoint you can kind of understand it and and speak that language and then there's uh, you know, me and a bunch of other people who are like that, that sound, that music, like doesn't really make me want to like dive in. And if I do dive in, I have to start from scratch with this technology because like, I'm not, I'm not a person who can just like look at a device and figure out how it works. Um, I, I really have to have my hand held through it and say, here's how to do it. Um, so when it came to, like it's it sounds like you said you were kind of a purist about like acoustic sounds um, I was but you just you you reached a point where like when you reached that point um what was the learning curve like how you know how much did you already know how much electronics did you already speak well um zach i'm I'm a very slow person <laughs> that's why I love living here in Montreal as well yeah. it's just a different tempo. I think I reached, I mean, I reached a point in New York where I was like, I just don't think I'm like the right tempo for this place yeah. anymore. I, 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 exactly I, was, mean. I was like in my twenties and moved there when I was 18. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, hard to say that, <laughs> uh, but it's slow for me too. I mean, preservation else I could, 
send it to you. It's also, um, we, we recently put it up on the streaming sites as well. Oh, good. Uh, but that was originally just acoustic drums and then uh, integrating synths mm-hmm. in there, like a kind of a um, intersection of ambient music and live drums. Mm-hmm. It was something, something I had been experimenting for, for a while. Um, the last band I played in in New York was pretty much that. It was an ambient uh, drone project with a singer-producer huh. um, who went by the name of uh, Port St. Willow. Beautiful project. Cool. Um, and I was hired to, to play acoustic, fully acoustic drums. Um, not dissimilar to kind of uh, Daniel Lenoir's okay. ladder projects right. um, where the acoustic drums are kind of cutting through all of the wash right, and the drone that are, that are occurring. And um, it, it was, it was a, a blast <laughs> to, to, to do. And, and it's something I've been interested in for seven years now, six, seven years. Um, yeah. But it, started with purely ambient music uh, coming from synthesizers, a couple that I've acquired, Profit, um, that I borrowed from my friend Aaron Parks, mm-hmm. and um, Juno 60, and some software synths as well, and just um, acoustic drums. So that was, that was the, the previous project. Right. And then that project took two or three years to complete. And through the production process, I ended up integrating a little bit of electronic percussion Mm -hmm. in there when I was producing it a bit, like 808, 808 hats here and there. Right. Right. Extras that I couldn't get from the kit in the same way. And I could, I could run them through my effects rig and um, they became a, a texture. So it was more, more using electronic, drum sounds as texture than than like i then programming thing I've, yeah. I've, never pro- I've never programmed anything i don't right. have that kind of brain. yeah i so. i interviewed um like three or four years ago i interviewed ian chang oh yeah of course um yeah. and at the time like you know the sunhouse stuff was just sort of coming around and i'm pretty sure ian was like a beta tester um and we talked a lot about um you know, ways to make electronic music and electronic sounds like feel organic. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the bridges that the Sunhouse stuff is, is able to, uh, it's one of the gaps that, that it's able to bridge. Um, and like there, (laughs) there are only a couple, um, uh, sort of scenarios in which I'm like, yes, electronic sounds, Awesome. I like it. And, and so one of them is when the practitioner is able to make it feel organic like that. And the other one is what you're talking about when an acoustic instrument, like truly can't achieve what the electronic thing can. It's Uh, exactly the same for me. Like when I, when I think about learning jazz, I I got to a point um, where I'd hit a wall. I'd I'd hear, I'd go out and hear Nashit Waits play mm -hmm. at, smalls or something in New York. And I was like, I had my mind blown and, or, you know, it's like, I can't do that. <laughs> I found myself in the practice room, like, and then I would talk to him or 
annoy the shit out of him and be like, <laughs> can, I get, can I get a lesson? Yeah. <laughs> Will you teach me? And, um, and it became very clear that I didn't have the technique hmm. to play that. But similar to integrating electronics, it's chasing my ear for me, for me. It's right. like when I hit a wall, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to investigate the Sunhouse stuff. Cause I've, I knew about the Sunhouse stuff before it came out. Um, I met um, one of the designers on, at, a, at a gig, like a somewhere in the middle of Brooklyn, like a few bands playing. And he was, he was telling me about it. He's like, it's coming out next year explained it to me and I was like, that's something I think I could get into, like the mm-hmm. intuitive approach and the dynamics. And um, so I, but I never, it took me a while to, to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to that, this preservation project, eventually um, I went on to record it and wanted to play it live after we had recorded it. And it became a bit of a, a, a hybrid project as well. And I was like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I reached out to Sunhouse at that point and um, checked out the, um, the, uh, the triggers. Yeah. And it, it, was, it was great. We, we, we did one show and I was able to assign a couple of sounds from the album to various parts of the kit. And um, that was the introduction for me in terms of like a hybrid. Right. And I would imagine that like, I, I, um, my experience in here with just like learning how to record drums, like once, once you sort of just get your foot in the door with a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of ability, then, then you're rolling, right? It's, it's getting started. That's really fucking tough. Um, exactly. and it sounds like that's what it was with, with the Sunhouse stuff or just with like electronic sounds in general, like for the longest time you were just like, no, no, I don't want to. But as soon as you just got like a little taste of it and like, oh, I can now do this. Then it, it just went. Yeah. I'm a, like, I'm the, you know, the kid who is by the pool, like putting my feet in <laughs> like very, very, very slowly. Right. I, I've always had a tough time like just you know diving I'm like come on Tommy let's just dive in I'm like no it's you know it's it's cold or <laughs> like, but once I do it you 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 hit the nail on the head like that's kind of how it works for me and then I'm like oh it's just a it's an instrument it's another right instrument you know I'm sure you can I could set you up in front of a prophet and you would make something musical because you're a musician mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it is for me with, with synthesizers as well. And with electronics, it's just, um, it's a tool. They're all tools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. I mean, I wouldn't call myself any, I wouldn't call myself a keyboard player, but, um, definitely a drummer. I can play the keyboard and I get around. Um, right. You're, you're a keyboard user. I'm a keyboard user. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I use sensory percussion in a very basic way, um, probably in a very roundabout way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how my brain works. It's just well, it's and just, like yeah. I haven't I haven't messed with any of the Sunhouse stuff at all. But my understanding of it is that like part of the design is um, that 
different musicians will find different ways to use it that like even the manufacturers didn't really intend or think about like it's it I, I think they want it to be a very all it's not like the SPDX that like it's it's going to do a specific thing and everybody's going to use it pretty much the same way um, right. it seems super malleable depending on who's working it of course yeah I mean like I said I I like running samples through my effects rig that my profit's going through as well. And it makes it sound a little less, um, it's just like a seasoning in, yeah. in, a, in a live setting. When I've used it, you don't really know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like that, that way of, of using it. But I don't know. I'm afraid for like, if they were to see me use it, they'd be like, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is not what it's intended to do. But, but, but what I loved about having it at the, the beginning of the pandemic is I was just, I was able to use it as a silent kit and I sure. could record straight into my, uh, into my rig and it became a foundational element for the recording. I re-recorded the, the drums many, many times on, on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up becoming just a hybrid of, of um, many layers of drumming percussion I would do in my apartment with a cymbal mm-hmm. and a brush yeah shakers um real drums so I don't know what actually happened is 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 unique to that recording and a product of having uh many limitations right right I love working with limitations and I think fun things can come out of that it was but I, I, but I totally yeah. agree. Like having some limitations and parameters on whatever you're doing kind of forces you to be more creative or more focused or like, I, I think that's when the best stuff comes out of most musicians is when there's at least some boundary. Um, that was, that was the introduction to, to the, to the, uh, the Wayne project as I like to call it. <laughs> we're, we're all in for now was, um, was just that. Yeah. And it was, you know, being here, here I am. I, I have these tools. I have this time right now. Um, it felt like a very creative period for, for me. Right. And I just, I kept captured whatever the fuck was going on. And right. I didn't think too much about it mm-hmm. in, in the moment. It was just capturing, capturing ambient, uh, backdrops and drones and yeah beats, you know via the, the the triggers and stuff and recording recording it all yeah yeah just recording everything that title we're all improvisers now um you know especially with the knowledge that like you know when and how and where this record was created like that title seems to have some some implications indeed <laughs> <laughs> it's hard it's been challenging to talk about the title because for one it sounds it can come off sounding a bit cheeky i think especially as it like the uh, few people that know me as as a musician know me as a as a jazz drummer i think first and foremost so yeah i don't want it i i was a, a bit worried about that like um it having a a the wrong tone or something but um i'm very happy i stuck with it because mm-hmm. it was the it was the title 
I think when I had sequenced the demos, the first round of demos in April 2020, it was the title at mm-hmm. that point. Is generally how I felt. <laughs> right. So I like felt, in April, I, I, that's the beginning of the lockdown. Beginning. I, it, exactly. I felt like an improvisatory um, producer. <laughs> I was like, I've been producing music on the side, very, very um, bedroom style for, for years. I was like, okay, here's a, I can kind of pretend to wear this hat. I can sit up at night and, you know, have a, you know, a um, couple of glasses of wine and like check out these tutorials on whatever it was. And, and, um, and just the social implications and, of yeah. that title, like, especially when, you know, you talk about April, 2020, right. It's the beginning of lockdown. Um, right. you're at your house sort of, uh, venturing into making music in a new un- untested way. And, mm-hmm. and you know, societies and governments are also just like, a lot of them are making it up as they go. Like nobody knows what's going to happen. It's <laughs> you take the words right out of my mouth. That's, that's exactly where that came from. It felt like we were making it up like, Oh, don't wear a mask, wear a mask. Right. Um, don't, you know, you you'll get it. I, I remember like washing our groceries. Yeah. Like we had a, designated table with tape right and we're just turning into psychopaths <laughs> and i'm already a bit ocd to begin with and uh-huh. it was like it just played into all of it and and it just felt like well what what are we doing like, yeah yeah um at the same time my partner um who's, who's a visual artist an amazing visual artist decided to dive into ceramics which she went to school for 20 years ago. Um, it's the first thing that she studied in, in college. Um, and she was like, I just feel like I want to get back to that slow life of that world. Like, she's like, it, it just, it's all I want to do right now. I want to like spend eight hours at the wheel. Yeah. And like, that's how these days felt for me too. I mean, I, um, I would spend, you know, days dialing in a sound. Right. Or, you know, I'm harmonically, the record is quite simple. I, but I would, I would take that progression and, and I would try it every possible way that I could. Um, because I had the time. Right. (laughs) Right. And, And, and I would, you know, try the best sounds. It became, similar to like making a stew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't put this in, I, I didn't put this in, in my notes cause, um, but that's, that's come up a bit when I've been talking about it. Like it just, things felt right when they felt right. Like, it's like, it's like you have the, t- the time to taste the stew and you have like eight hours to, to make a sauce. Yeah. I'm, I'm super into cooking and you're speaking my language. Like I know exactly what you're talking about, how you can just like make something and then leave it alone for a day. And then the next day you come back and it has like melded and (laughs) you know, your perception of it the next day is like different than the day you made it because it's just this slow process of, of adding and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I told, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, I was going to say that's, that's kind of, it became this ritualistic. Yeah. 
few months. I would say March, mid-March through the end of May, I had the demos finish at, at that at that point. Mm-hmm. And then the next process was like, you know, what what am I gonna do from here? Right. <laughs> what is this gonna be? back to your new york days um you like you went to new york to to be like jazz drums guy and and for a while you you were like jazz drums guy in new york um so i'm I'm curious like what set you on that path um and sort of what how how did uh, your new york experience shape you and what kind of jazz drummer do you think you were or are shortly before I moved to New York. Um, I guess the, the musicians I looked up to were, um, who were a few years older than me had recommended the, the new school. Yeah. Um, the key on Harold was in St. Louis and, mm-hmm. um, a drummer named Mark Collenberg. You familiar with Mark? I feel like I've heard that name, but I, I don't know him. Okay. He's, he played for Common okay. shortly after he moved to New York. So, yeah, Keon recommended uh, the, the new school, and um, I ended up applying and got in, got a scholarship to, to go there. Um, I did want to pursue jazz drums. Yeah. As like a very straight ahead um, jazz drummer at, the, mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but I wasn't sure, you know, what would, what was, what New York was going to be like <laughs> at that, yeah. at that point. And at that time, like, uh, so you're in your like late teens, early twenties doing the new school thing. Like who, who are the drummers you're studying with? Who are the drummers you're listening to and studying and, and saying like, I want to play like that. Yeah, well, Nashi Waits was I stalked him <laughs> when I got to. I had never heard him. I mean, we we were lucky, very fortunate in St. Louis. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of like the young lion acts who came through. I I, I graduated in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Graduated high school and attended the new school um, that next fall. So two weeks before nine eleven is when I moved to New York. Jesus. Um, and Logan moved there as well. We, we decided to, to go together we oh, met cool. in, high, in high school yeah. in Missouri through the Kansas city, St. Louis, the route 70 connection. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had a band called highway 70. <laughs> um, and so I just immersed myself in everything when, when I, when I moved there. Um, I lived in the dorms in downtown New York in mm-hmm. uh, Square with some incredible musicians, and um, it was it was an intimidating place. Yeah, <laughs> like just the student body alone, sure. and um, 
Keon had just graduated. Robert Glasper had just graduated, but he was still at the school most days, just hanging, just being, jamming. Being Robert Glasper. <laughs> yeah. He would just come into a practice room and jump on piano and be like, come on, let's, let's put like Logan and I, <laughs> Logan and I like were buddies and we just, we played together every day. Mm-hmm. No joke. Um, so we'd be in a drum practice room just playing duo and someone like Robert would stumble in um, and play and kind of school us, so to speak. Right. um, I didn't feel like I was very good at that time, but I just sort of trial by fire kind of. Sure. People were very nice to me and I just sort of jumped in there and and, um, um, I was always playing with people that were better than me yeah. i felt like that that was the the way in and they'd be like come on do you you know like right not pick up not pick hard up to do in a place like new york yeah. and not hard to do yeah. and and we we had our little crew you know logan and frank lacrasto we would go out and every night and we would just we'd go to smalls or we'd go to various jam sessions and it was like show after show um and we just immerse ourselves in 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 the scene you know a lot of avant-garde music as well like the knitting factory fell around um tonic Uh was probably my favorite one of my favorite venues in in the lower east side we could hear people like jim black play yeah 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 hearing hearing jim for the first time was a was a was a game changer mm-hmm. for me. I didn't know that was possible. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those players that's kind of like it's it's like jazz adjacent <laughs> almost. Like Paul uh the the drummer Paul Motion came up in my interview with Brandon and I feel oh, like okay. I feel like Paul is is like an early example of um one of those drummers who is like, you know, just obviously firmly rooted in the jazz genre but like not really playing by the rules of jazz drumming indeed yeah yeah so jim Jim is another guy like that coming from that school for sure yeah yeah and after paul i got joey baron oh yeah man same same deal i mean (laughs) that's cool that immediately really spoke to me because i I grew up playing playing a, a lot of um rock and roll yeah. <laughs> um playing groove music you know um my father played, played a lot of groove music and so that 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 was that that was in the dna for, for sure yeah uh, and again i didn't i didn't know about jim black in st louis i didn't know about joey baron um so quickly i learned i learned you know it was I think that first winter break in, in New York, um, going back to St. Louis and my friends um, and I like got together to jam and they're like, something happened to you. <laughs> like, like what, what happened to your playing? It's, it's like all you wanted to do is swing or pre- pretend to swing or attempt. To swing. <laughs> that's what I like to do. I mean, I, that's where I came from. I, 
I, I didn't, you know, you were, I'm sure you went to school yeah. around, I mean, you, I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts as well and school comes up a lot and, yeah. you know, but, but I mean, we could talk a lot about music school. And, oh, we um, could, we, we have, I, 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 <laughs> it's interesting talking about it now, 20 years later, um, I've shifted a, a lot I've you know, um, and you have to kind of shed your skin as well. Like, like it took me a while to kind of get out of that headspace too. I know what you mean. Like I, I went through the same process. You're kind of like, um, especially in the jazz world, I think, um, young musicians tend to sort of, um, uh, like superimpose jazz identities onto themselves. Um, and it has to do with like emulating certain players, but it also has to do with just like buying into a certain culture or running with a certain crew. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, some, some people like stay in that and that's truly who they are and the kind of musician they want to be. But others, it sounds like you and me, you know, reached a point where it was like, I, I did this for a while, but it doesn't feel a hundred percent like what I'm really made of as a musician. Um, and you mentioned earlier how like you, uh, you were taking a lesson, I think with, with Nasheed Waits and you said you hit this wall like right. with jazz or with jazz drumming. Um, and it kind of became, you, you said it became clear to you that you didn't have the technique to do what you wanted. I did to not. Do. <laughs> I did not. So at that point, like when, when some people hit a wall like that, sometimes it's about their identity as a musician, which it was for me. I was like, I'm, I'm just not the bebopper that I thought I wanted to be. Um, but with you, it was like, it was physical, it was technical. So like, where, where do you go from there? Yeah, I should rephrase. I should, this is why I make instrumental music. I'm, <laughs> not, not, I'm not great with words. Um, I love to read. <laughs> so, I, I, as far as even like, right. Yeah. I'm a, a lot more lyrically driven in terms of music I listen to now than I used to. But, um, anyway, I'll try my best. <laughs> but, um, rephrase that word technique the i will say the basic skills i had i feel like i had the love and the will to hop on board keep saying that yeah with the feeling of jazz like i was like wow this makes me want to move and like i want to like play together right it just it 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 moves me yeah i was attracted to the feel of music and sound sound um, I'm obsessed with sound mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and feel, I'm, you know, not, I'm so uh, it got, it got to a point. I used that now she, as an example, because, you know, I was 18 years old and I wanted the cool, I wanted the cool stuff from him. I wanted like, I was like, I was intrigued by how free he was mm-hmm. just he, it felt so, he felt so in control and almost like a conductor of the, the band. Mm-hmm. I'd seen it with so many projects, Ralph Alessi's project, Mark Turner's band at that time. Oh yeah, man. The record had just come out, which was incredible. Incredible. Yeah. It was like, um, that to me, I'll argue with anyone that wants to talk about it. There's a little bit of like an ambient quality to, to, to that record yeah maybe it's rosenwinkel sound but i'll talk about the ambient music a little later because it's very important to me as well but 
Um, but that f- the circular feeling, if you want to call it that, that he had, but it was also tied to what I, what I had heard at that point, which, you know, was, um, a, a lot of straight, straight ahead jazz. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to call it, anything, but the drummers that I had studied in high school, like, you know, Billy Higgins, um, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, you know, but, but, um, I hadn't heard that. And Paul motion is another example of, of course. And I, I would hear him. I heard Paul every month. It felt like at the village Vanguard before wow. he passed yeah. him 50 times live. Um, but that freeness, but the control and the conviction. Yeah. I wanted that. And, but, but I remember going to Nashit's studio and lesson one, you got to learn the Wilcoxon swing solos. Oh, wow. Backwards and forwards. I had never heard of Wilcoxon. Yeah. I learned because like Nashit says to do that. I learned the shit backwards and forwards. Uh-huh. Um, permutations, different ways to play it. Um, and through that, I feel like I, that was the, uh, that opened something up for me in terms of, um, freedom on the kit because it was covering base. I was like, Oh, they're asking, he's asking me to play specific roles. I can't do this very well. I need to go back and I need to study the rudiments again. So it was just like unraveled one thing after the other for me. And I was like, okay, it's not that he's so free it's that he's so controlled <laughs> yeah he's so he's so um he's one of the most traditional drummers mm. i think mm-hmm. but but again i'm really attracted to those types of players where it's like coming from the tradition but it doesn't sound like it has gone um in popular music i would i would i would use Jim Keltner as, a, as an influence yeah. because it's like whatever it is that he's playing is through the Jim Keltner filter. Yep. I could try my best to emulate. It'll just never happen. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's Jim Keltner. Yep. And I, I don't, I don't know what that is. It's like if you were to quantify El- Elvin Jones's beat or a friend of mine sent me a Jay Dillo graph recently where it was like quantifying <laughs> his, <laughs> it's like he's a math professor here in oh, Montreal, wow. and it's like broken down into like um i'll send it to you like 128 parts and it's like oh it's god almost impossible to quantify what jay dilla did and it's because that's what he was hearing right i think um you know and didn't choose to to quantize certain things and um so, yeah, that that moving to New York and hearing musicians like Jim Black and Ashley Wade, it's it's difficult on the spot sometimes to think of of others. There are many. Uh, yeah. Billy Hart. Oh yeah, yeah. Who, who became my main drum mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied with Billy f- for two years at the New School. Um, seeing him for the first time at the Village Vanguard changed changed my life for mm-hmm. sure well because he, he also had that that uh, conductor 
quality, right. very, very relaxed at the kit, but incredibly dynamic, um, beautiful, beautiful sound. Yeah. And just the way he produced the band, so to speak, it just felt, felt like he, it, it, yeah, it's like, it's a form of production. Yeah. <laughs> it's like self-producing. And I'm thinking about that because I just played at the Village Vanguard a couple of months ago and mm. it had been 15 years from me. Um, but it's a room where you actually have to, you, you self-produce your own sound. There's nothing on the kit. Right. And going back and thinking about, I, I was so incredibly nervous going back in there and playing at the Vanguard. And I was like, okay, what, what shows really move me? Um, definitely the seeing Billy, seeing Paul Motion and, and then setting up there and being like, Oh, there, there's no stereo overhead. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You have to play to the back of the room. You have to, you also have to play to the person two feet away from you on the, on the, on the bench. Right. So you're high. Right. And how do you do that? It's, it's, it's control, I, I think. And, um, yeah, Billy, Billy really, he still does that. Yeah. He still plays like he's in his forties. Right. So, 30s. so you kind of, you kind of find, uh, some of your identity with, with these guys and with this, with these ideas. Um, and you kind of find your lane, uh, how how long did you spend in did you graduate from the new school like did you actually get a degree from there i did okay cool and, i and i how? dropped out um i left for a year i i, I started playing um in the mingus big band my wow freshman year i met i met uh vincent herring in a jam session he he's a great alto sax player and robert glasper would run the jam as well it was in the Flatbush neighborhood in Brooklyn and me and my friends would go every week and we'd sign up and we'd play. Um, and Vincent for some round, uh, bizarre reason liked my playing and he, he hired me for a gig and then was like, would you ever be into auditioning for the Mingus big band? Man. I was like, I, I never played in big bands. Yeah. <laughs> I also can't read very, I couldn't read very well. He's like, you'll be okay. He's like, here, study this stuff. Um, I think you should do it. He's like, the audition is the gig. Right. So, so they're auditioning. You just, you have to learn the book and you come in. They had a weekly gig at the Fez Mm -hmm. in East village. Amazing venue. Um, Basement venue. It's like an old lounge from the, 50s oh, cool. kind of vibe and so I, I i said yes and i was still finishing the freshman year there but i just said you know fuck it to, to living the, whatever i was like i want to do this um this is this is what i came to new york to do right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna blow this opportunity so um so i i did i did well i think and they sue mingus Charles Mingus's wife. Um, well, I, I had to meet her first. I went to her apartment. Wow. She, she and Mingus's apartment in Midtown Manhattan, and so she she literally went over to her like filing cabinet, which was probably from the fifties or sixties, and she's like, "Oh, I got, let me hear the charts." So she gave me like original 
charts, not Mingus' charts, but like the charts the big man would play. Yeah. So she, she, everything had to filter through Sue. Wow. Um, and she was like, you're really young. Are you, are you, you know, are you going to be, you can be okay. And I was like, no, I think I learned, I learned everything. And, and she's like, okay, we'll see. We'll see how you do. We'll see. Jesus. We'll give you, you'll give you a chance. Um, so they, again, I was also, I think playing in a rock band at the time as well with some friends at new school, like, Quickly, I learned, I was like, it's a loud band. <laughs> <laughs> so they, first song, they, they're just like louder, louder, louder. Like you gotta just, just, they're yelling at me. Whoa. <laughs> Frank Lacey would kind of run the band and he's just like, come on, motherfucker. You gotta go. Like, I can't hear you. <laughs> he's like, eat some Wheaties, motherfucker. And oh was like, man. Was, and I'm like, oh, you know, different kind of energy feels like a different life i was like i could do i you know so it all in all it went well it went it went well and they they asked me to go on tour with them wow that that summer um so i was after my freshman year so i was 19 and then um i went to europe with them they split the tour between me and the original jonathan blake Mm-hmm. Who, who was the drummer that was subbing part of the, they were there the entire summer in Europe. It was like, they had a tour bus. Yeah. My first time leaving the country, I had never really left. Um, I mean, we had gone to California as kids, as right. families, never been to Europe. Right. Doing all those festivals. Did every, everything. I arrived and <laughs> like no cell phone <laughs> at, at that point, 2002. Yeah. Um, so shortly it, 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 I started working really early. I was, I don't think I was ready for it. Um, but things were moving. Yeah. I mean, I I would imagine you're, you, um, come back from a summer in Europe with the Mingus band. Like you come back to New York and you're like a little bit of a made guy now. It gave me a little, like, gave me a, confidence that i wasn't ready for mm. and i have and since i've lost all of it <laughs> uh, many times over and over again but it did i started playing with greg osby oh yeah shortly after that mm-hmm. um my buddy matt brewer was in his band um a new mexico native i knew yeah. he he's we met in high school as well huh. um and we started, he started at Juilliard the same semester I started at the new school. So we were all part of the same kind of like, we'd see each other at jam right. sessions. Right. Like, hey man. Um, and how much, so how much longer did you spend in New York? Like at what point? Um, I left, um, I, I left in 2017. Okay, so yeah, that was quite a while. Yeah, no, I was there for a while. And so, uh, I mean, your your time in New York is is um, just you know marked by just a, a series of gigs and tours and recordings and et cetera with you know New York notables, um, some of which you've yeah. you've mentioned. Um, but at a certain point, it, it it seemed like you mentioned earlier, like you just reached a point with New York where you're like, I'm not, 
I'm not cut out for this place. <laughs> never mind, you know, whether or not I'm involved in the jazz world or never mind just the whole music part of it. Like I'm not <laughs> happy living here. I was not happy. <laughs> yeah. Mainly. And, and you, you nailed it. I mean, just the quality of, of life. Um, just the mentality, the, the person I was becoming, I started to strongly dislike if that mm. makes any sense. It, um, and that has something to do with a shift, I think, in playing different types of music. Yeah. Um, I continued to play in Greg Ozzy's band, I think, for four years, um, which was unbelievable. And mm-hmm. it, it was most of the time it was Matt, who was just a masterful bass player and kind of like an older brother. Mm-hmm. Another prime example of someone who is far better than me, always, I mean, just kind of be like come on man come on. <laughs> like, like you, you get you got i was i was always like very fortunate to have those friends that were like i wanted i wanted it i yeah. wanted to but they were stronger musicians or you know um but matt would like tell me to check out the cameroonian drumming he was always studying and, and stuff like that so so long story short um, that kind of continued after Osby's band with various people with um, just a slew of freelance touring after that, like 10 bands a year. Wow. Mostly, after, like after you moved to Montreal? No, no, this is still in New York. Okay. Uh, 2006, 2007. I just, I wasn't playing in Greg's band at that point, And I just said yes to, everything mm-hmm. um and it was like going going to europe and one tour after the other with different projects right um, well and that's kind of my point like you you achieved like it sounds like everything that you set out to achieve when you went there you know to the new school when you were 18 you're like i'm going to new york this is what i want to do that's and, what i want to do and yeah. after after years of actually getting to do it um that was all sort of uh, outweighed by just like the DNA of that city and how life sort of feels there and what it does to you. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, going on the road, you'd, I would run into heroes like Joey Barron, who was living out of a backpack (laughs) because he was on tour for, he's like, Oh, I'm going out with Bill Frizzell. And then I'm straight to playing with John Zorn. And then, Mm-hmm. my own band he's he's like i i just travel with a backpack now and sticks and even backline symbols and it started to feel i would sublet my apartment in new york mm-hmm. um i was single at the time i had gotten out of a relationship probably part of the reason i was saying yes to everything and right you know it's it's very difficult to maintain a relationship if you're traveling that much um so I did that a, a lot until around 2000. I had some personal stuff with family and um, lost my dad in 2011. So before he passed away, it was kind of was very busy and going like flying back from Europe and going straight to St. Louis to yeah. be with family. And, um, and then around that time, 
I took a, I took a pause and I actually, I, I didn't, I, I gave up in a, my apartment in New York, I think for six months, um, was just touring or I was visiting family and, um, and then went back to New York summer of 2011 and it felt like a bit of a rebuilding period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a little, I was a little burnt on the, on the, on the politics of the jazz scene. And mm. we no means need to get into that. <laughs> and, um, but I, at, at the core of it and having, having like the time to think and traveling, I was usually traveling alone. It was like, Tommy, here's your flight. So I'd fly over, meet a band. It was, you know, a lot of solo time and then meeting up with the group rehearsing playing some gig maybe doing a record um learned so much but um but having some time to reflect i was just like i think i'm a project-based person yeah I just want to jump ahead a little bit and and talk about um, sort of just how your path pointed itself to to Montreal and and the, the character of that scene in that city, and you know just just sort of the um, your your personal journey from the musician that you were like in the heat of it in New York to the musician you are now in in Montreal and how those two cities uh, you know represented that that transition for you. Gotcha. Um, well, I was going to say the, I started playing in a series of bands in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quickly realized that if you want to be in a band and I'm sure you can relate and do the, the thing and, um, do the touring cycle and make a record and whatever, it's, it's a, it's full time yeah. pretty much. Um, so it's kind of like take a project on or be freelance. So right. I feel like my current shift to Montreal became a, a, a hybrid of the two. I could say no to some things, which um, feels very empowering at times mm-hmm. um, because of the cost of living in a place like Montreal. Right. Um, and I can make my own music as well. It became a more balanced lifestyle here. yeah we subletted a friend's place here uh 2016 my partner and i and subletted our place in new york and then month after month we just kept staying here <laughs> and then 20 a year later we we rented an apartment in montreal yeah and my my close friend frank lacrasso took our apartment in brooklyn and and been here ever since like it was a base more than anything before the pandemic. It's just like a, it's a great city, mm-hmm. a bizarre city. <laughs> it's an odd place and it would take a lot of time to really get into all that. But I really, I really like it here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like the cross, the clash of cultures and, and um, it's close to New York. Before the pandemic, I was in New York at least every month or every six weeks and I'd drive down, yeah. I'd be there in six hours. I was going to ask, so it's like a half day's drive basically? It's like 8 a.m. Make a th- you can make a 3 p.m. rehearsal. Okay, yeah. New York. And you're hurting. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and you alluded to the fact that you were just doing sort of like gig after gig after gig and tour after tour, these kind of short yeah. little stints. Um, nice. I, I'm in a similar place myself. Like I, I'm, I'm about to be 42. I'm looking at the, <laughs> the first 20 years of my career. Um, and I've done a lot, like I've played a lot, but it's, it, I, I just, I, I see it as just this sort of endless litany of like short little things. Um, and a lot of them were just one-offs, like a single gig, you know, or just a short engagement with a thing. Um, and there have been some projects that have been longer and more involved along the way. Um, but I, I would classify myself as just sort of like a journeyman, uh, kind of all purpose workhorse (laughs) over the years. And I'm looking at my next 20 years of playing and I want it, I want it to be, a much shorter list of much longer, more involved things. So are you, are you making some of your own music though as well? No, I've, I've never been um, a creator in that way. Like I've done some composing and arranging, um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm firmly in the, the side man camp. Got it. But you know, even, even in that role, like I'm, I'm looking to be like part of a thing that is doing okay. a thing for a long time, you know, I can relate so, so much. So yeah. it, it's, that was, that was the turning point for me. It, it, it definitely just the, once, once I felt like I was a part of a, a growing, like a family, you know, mm-hmm. like you're, your family when you're in a band and um, you fight and <laughs> a lot <laughs> and there are issues with money and ego and people grow and, and stuff like that. Um, that kind of what you, what you just described is sort it's sort of, I think I, if I hadn't moved <laughs> I, I think I'd be in the same, I'd be in the same zone, but I knew that. Right. I guess it, New York is unlike any other place. It will just shatter you. If, yeah. If, I mean, and, and not even, not even just because of money, but just because of who, like I just to be taking the train home. Sometimes I'm like, God, I just, I look bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like I like I'm wearing the same fucking pants for like i've been wearing for three (laughs) years like people are like who what i just you don't feel that in montreal maybe it's (laughs) it's a montreal's detriment a little bit but like it's i can you know i can go out and sweatpants right here right um i guess we all maybe do now but (laughs) sure i don't know i I feel like maybe there's a, a way to find I'm sure you'd have that to some degree, but to find that balance in. Yeah, in absolutely. A, and, and wow. I, I went through a similar thing in LA. Like I've never lived in New York. Um, I, I've, I've known for quite a while that I, I'm just not cut out for that town. Um, but I did live in LA for a while, uh, for five years. And, um, you know, 
not unlike you, like had some success, had some good experiences, but there came a point where um, the experience of day-to-day life in that town just I was I was kind of over it. And I got out before I really started to hate it. Um, my wife by that time was fucking over it. She was, <laughs> you know, um, is, is she a musician as well? No, no. She's in a totally different racket. She's, we, okay. she was a musician because we met in like high school band. Um, but gotcha. she, she had the good sense to get out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> LA is, a you know, obviously a very different vibe from New York, but, but they're similar in that, like you either, you either subscribe to that lifestyle or you don't. And, and some people thrive on it. Some people are, you know, just, uh, that's, that's the soil they grow in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely reached a point where I was like, I can be, I can be done with LA. Like my musical and professional ambition has now taken a backseat to the fact that I just want to live in a place that like feels good to me every day. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, that's a, a great setup. I mean, you can track and yeah, I like, have that here too. And it's, I never had that in New York. I, I wouldn't have dreamed. That. I wouldn't have dreamed. Like if we were in LA, if like in my fourth year in LA, if somebody would have like airdropped me into this house with this yeah. yard and this driveway and been like, you could live here. I'd be like, you're fucking out of your mind. No way. How? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Similar uh, picture that you're painting. Too. Right. Right. Cause it's a, it's a, as far as Canada goes, it's a, it's a big city. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was an organic, um, move. My partner's Canadian. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I was wondering how they let you in. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that's part of it. They're, they're pretty, um, they're pretty discerning from, from what I understand. They are. Um, it's very important to me to make work now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say one thing I was going to say, is um right before I, I left New York, I, I put out my first little like handmade CD that I it was recorded properly, but we my partner did the artwork. Um, she does a lot of album cover artwork. Yeah. And we did the um, artwork for the Royal Improvisers Now record and mm-hmm. the concept of it and et cetera. But um she really pushed me to finish this band that I had called late bloomer mm-hmm. kind of like a kraut rock jazz crossover kind of, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I didn't really know it was kraut rock, but that's kind of what it is yeah. sort of. Um, and I finishing that felt for some reason, shortly after that came out, I left. Huh. It felt like, I had something to share with people that was beyond just me playing, being a side musician Mm -hmm. because people knew me as a drummer for hire. They, they're like, Oh, you've played with, with, um, so-and-so, you know, but it was very empowering to be like, this is my, these are my tunes. Yeah. A lot of jamming that we we did. (laughs) Recorded. I mean, it, there were tunes, but like vignettes, so to speak, like um, short pieces. And, and then it, Aaron was one of the first people that bought one. <laughs> nice. We're close. We're old. We went 
we've known each other since high school as well. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person to hit me up when I set up an email. I was like, I'll bike over to your house and give you guys a CD if you want, if you buy one, just to, to my friends in New York. And I think it was a turning point, I guess. Having, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been, have you, if you've been through that, where it's like, sometimes as a drummer, you feel like people don't really know who you are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that's a great way of, of putting sort of where I'm at now, like talking about, um, just this, this, you know, endless litany of one-off gigs that I've spent 20 years doing. And, and a lot of it has been, um, doing what the gig required, um, which there's honor in, which is super important as just any kind of professional. Um, but then at a certain point you're like, you know, could, <laughs> could, could anybody that I've played any of these gigs with, um, articulate what I'm about as a musician? Right. Like, did I just show up and, and like check some boxes in that music and fill some blanks? Um, or did I, uh, really show up as myself and, and it's not about like reinventing the wheel or reinterpreting the music or whatever, but just like knowing who you are as a musician and, and playing with that certain intent. And I think there's just an intangible, um, effect that it has on people. Um, so like all the work that you had done in New York, um, maybe you like hadn't, it was, it was that same thing, just sort of like being what you had to be for the gig, um, doing, doing what you could do instead of doing what, uh, instead of setting your sights on something specific and doing that. Right. Exactly. Um, but what you, what you described, like, you know, gig to gig and you have to hit the, the marks. Um, it's how you work. Too. Absolutely. I mean, hence, hence the name of the podcast too. And I can, part of, part of me, you know, it's like, I still have that. I, I mean, I played with Martha Wainwright a few nights ago here in wow. Montreal and she's, she wants a pop approach and I'm still, a, I'm still, a, I still have <laughs> improv brain. At right. Point, you know, totally. Like, yeah. He's like, you need to bark the chorus <laughs> more. And like, um, she's amazing, but, 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 but I still prepping for that gig. It's just an example. It's like, I, I let all that other stuff go. Like it's, it's almost like a different version of myself or something. Right. And, and it's, I guess in, in my case, like I got, um, I got so wrapped up in sort of the, the blue collar work ethic of, you know, being whatever you needed to be for a certain gig. And, and, um, making versatility like really placing a premium on versatility i think if if you if you hew too far in that direction you can kind of forget to develop your own voice on the instrument um and uh it's it's definitely what happened to me and uh i think like we're we're told as young drummers you know you got to be versatile you got to play every style you got to say yes to every gig and you know, like you've said, and like many others have said, like, that's how you work. That's how you make a living. And, and that is important. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not by any means saying that, um, drummers or young drummers especially should say, fuck that. But, um, there's a balance to be struck where, um, you know, in addition to being what you need to be for the gig, like develop 
your voice on the instrument so that when somebody hears you play, even if, if, even if it's on a run of the mill gig, even if it's not like a creative thing where you really get to stretch your legs creatively, but like when they sit down, when you sit down and they hear you play, it's compelling in some way. Like you can hear a guy play a bar and a half and be like, wow, that guy knows who the fuck he is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's heavy. And when, when you hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I started to find myself imposing my belief system because I think, I think I hit a certain point where I knew that if I was getting hired, it was getting hired for me. I think people were like, I, I certain bands, if I couldn't make it or something, they're like, well, no, no, that's, you're a part of this thing. You, we can't get it to someone else. You're, mm. you're, you're fucking it all up. <laughs> and then it's like, I think at a certain point, although I didn't tell myself that I was like, I still need to hit, hit all the, the boxes and stuff, but I think I was starting to get hired to be me. Um, but in doing that, I, I noticed I was like imposing stuff and, and that's, that's, that's tricky. And I, it's, that's where like, the pandemic came in and the record and making carving out that, that zone to, to get that stuff creatively out. Because if you don't have that space for me, if I don't have that space, it, it'll come out maybe in a negative way. And I might, so-and-so might not want to hire me right. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm like that. And I start showing up with triggers and right. Uh, and, <laughs> You're like forcing and, 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 it and out if, of spite. <laughs> yeah. And if the person that I'm thinking of is listening to it, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Cause <laughs> I definitely went through transition before the pandemic where I was showing up to like, these were really great gigs, but I felt very, I was like, no, if I'm going to bring my little, I bring my pocket, Juno and um I'm gonna set up a drone for my 40 second drum solo or, right. <laughs> or uh, you know even bringing the sensory stuff I did that with some jazz gigs and it didn't work right right <laughs> in contact and then yeah pandemic hits again we get you never know what's gonna happen and you get these spaces to find out what it is you actually really want I I'll stop that thought with saying it's very important for me to do my own music right now. And yeah. it's a big turning point for me. The record is just the beginning of it, but um, it's, you know, it was a, it was an experiment, but it finished and, and um, starting something new at the moment too. And it's so oh, cool. Um, well, it's, yeah, it's great what you said about like you, you sort of turned a corner where you started getting hired for you. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, it made me think of um, just this notion of like, it, it's kind of just a different way of putting everything we've been talking about. But like as a musician, you can get hired for your skill set, for what you're able to do and what you're able to bring for a certain gig. Um, or you can get hired and valued just for your identity, right? Like just for who you are. And I think that's the ultimate goal for, for all of us. Um, so moving forward for you, like with this, with this record and with this whole process you've gone through, um, it, it sounds like you just have a much stronger sense of your own identity and, and you know, like you're able to recognize the situations in which that identity is going to be valued. And if that identity isn't valued or needed, that's something that you, you can just be like, that's not my thing. I'm going to do this over here. 
Exactly. I yeah. think, yeah. Or, um, yeah, there's, you, you, you know, you know, having a, a remote setup, there are ways to, you can do tracks for friends if you need a little extra money. I mean, you right. have to hustle. Yep. You really have to hustle. It's hard. It's been, it's been really, really like some, some up, ups and downs. Right. And, but it's the difference between like hustling your skill set and hustling your identity, right? It's, it's what you're leading exactly. with. Cause if you're, if you're leading with like, Hey, I can do anything. I have the skills, right. Yeah. Then, then you'll end up in, you'll, you'll work, but you might not get to cultivate, you know, this identity and what you really like about yourself. And so, exactly. yeah. Well, man, best, best of luck to you. Um, I hope this, I hope this record, uh, represents, uh, like you said, kind of a turning point, you know, into putting deeper roots in Montreal and, uh, you know, more, more meaningful, um, just a more meaningful musical existence for you as far as your, your musical identity. I really appreciate that. It's really wonderful to talk to you yeah. and thanks for, for reaching out. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and yeah, it's very rewarding to, to listen to. I've, I've listened to a few of, a few of your interviews as well. Just like we can really relate as yeah. I can really as a drummer. And, and um, <laughs> if there's one thing that this podcast has taught me, it's we are all going through the same shit, even before the pandemic, right. like a jazz drummer in Kansas city and an arena rock country drummer in Nashville is like going through the same shit. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> there is an understanding between drummers. There, it's just an unspoken something. So, yeah, we're all in um, the same game. We get it. Yeah. So that's up to you as well. There you go, Tommy Crane, Sweet Cat. Right. Check out his new record. We're all improvisers now. Wherever you get music. Next week, Matt Kraus will be talking with producer Nick Raskulinix who has worked with Foo Fighters, Rush, Evanescence, and Alice in Chains. What a list that is. Should be some really cool drumming and recording concepts to dig into with him. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.